0: So I racked my brain. I couldn't come up with a lot. So you've got to help me this morning, okay? Are you ready? Are you up for this? Okay. My thought was there are small things that make a big difference. I said, let me think of something. And I had a hard time. So you name some small things that make a big difference. A hug and a smile. This is the warm, fuzzy side of the auditorium. A hug and a smile. A computer chip. That's a tiny little thing, isn't it? Yeah, that makes quite a bit of difference. A meal. Some meals are smaller than others. Kindness. Is that what I heard? Kindness. A rudder. Who said that? A rudder. Chapter 3. I should have thought of that one. That's almost biblical. Um, What's that? Saying you're sorry. Yeah, that makes a big difference. A roadrunner? Roadrunner? Is that what I heard, really? Like Wiley, Coyote, Acme Corporation? Something new every day. I'm sorry. Salt. Who's salt? Who said salt? Okay. Warm, fuzzy side. Spicy. Is that word? Your big toe is a small thing that makes a little difference. Your contact lens, yeah, that can make a big difference. We could do this all day, couldn't we? Do you want to? Anybody? Get, I mean, I don't want to stop you. You're on a roll here. I just heard something back there. Holding the door for someone. That's. to think about that. We know that. And, and I thought, you know, the other side of that, I get step to the other side of the podium and say, there's this, there's this other trait of thought that says, don't sweat the small stuff, right? So which one is it? I don't know. It just occurred to me right there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with this side. Small things make a huge difference. And there's one small thing I want to talk about today that I think makes a huge difference in your life and in mine something that the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 really sets the course in many ways of our life. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says this, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, so are you. Your thought processes make a huge difference in your life. There is actually one of those I assume a preacher came up with it. It sounds like a preacher came up with it years ago that says, if you you sow a thought, you reap a word. If you sow a word, you reap an action. If If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a lifestyle. If you sow a lifestyle, you reap a destiny. From the very first of that equation, if you will, we see... In fact, this verse tells us that what we think about almost sets the direction of our life. It's who we become. The stuff that we spend our time thinking about, thinking on, percolating on, truly has a huge impact on our lives, and our life will probably drift that direction, that direction that we spend most of our time, most of our energy thinking about. What are some of the maybe continuums we could use about what you think about. Well, are you more negative or positive? Maybe is one way to think about it. The power of positive thinking. Wasn't that a big thing? Maybe it still is. I don't know. power of positive thinking. Just think positive thoughts visualize positive outcomes. Positive things happen. Um, and, and if we think about it, there are probably that... There is probably that tension in our life between negative and positive. It's easy for me to be on the negative side, maybe for some of you too. Maybe the negative thoughts are, you know, we, we just assume kind of the worst. We, we become very critical right up front. We, we kind of prejudge everything. We don't give anything a chance to happen or, or, or whatever. We, we kind of have that snap judgment, and it's usually negative side, maybe a more positive way of thinking is to to give people the benefit of the doubt, to give circumstances the benefit of the doubt, to allow things to happen thinking, hey, you know, really God is in control, and even if things aren't looking so good right now, hopefully eventually things will kind of iron out, it all evens out in the end, whatever. You can have that that tension in your life, and if you think more negatively or think more positively, maybe we can look at it another way. Some people are more worry-oriented, and others are Less oriented maybe, oriented, maybe more calm or peaceful, whatever the other side of that, whatever the opposite is. I, I am one of those that can kind of ramp myself up really quick into worry, you know, like daughters at work. and We have this wonderful thing. I, I gave my phone away. You know, you can find my iPhone app. We have Apple products. I can, I can uh, well, I was going to say stop, but that doesn't sound right. Track where she's going. Stalk, whatever. She's like, no, it's stalking. Okay, okay. We do, you know, when she, in the morning when she drives to school, I, I program in her thing, and I can watch her go down the highway. I'm like, okay, here. She can just get past that, where it goes from two lanes down to one lane, and get past the high school, coral shores. I feel better, because you know then it's sort of a little easier. Tra- the traffic is thinned out, and so I check in all the time on that. And, you know, Let's say she stopped somewhere, maybe because the, the light left a couple minutes late and she's backed up in the Coral Shores traffic. I've already decided her car's taken 14 flips and she's in a ditch and she just hasn't had a chance to call me yet because she, you know, who knows what. I can do that in a hurry. I can go way down that worry road quickly. Um, I do it too. Maybe sometimes you text somebody and they don't text you right back. That ever happened? Anyone? And you begin to think, uh-oh, what could be wrong? And, and the best thing in the world are those three dots. Actually, they're the worst thing. She's so like, are they typing me in an encyclopedia? The three dots has been there, and, then, and here's what you don't want to have fun with somebody. Just put like one letter in the reply, and, and then just forget about it, and they'll have three dots forever. It's awesome. Just saying, helpful hints. If you have a worry-oriented person, maybe you're not so worried. Maybe you're you're more on the calm side of things. Things don't shake you up. You don't go straight to the worst case scenario, and, and all of that sort of thing maybe fall on that continuum. But really what we're talking about isn't so much positive or negative or worry and calm, but but maybe a better way for us to think about it, since we're church and all, is worldly versus godly. Where are your thoughts on a typical day on that continuum? On the worldly side of the spectrum where the material things matter, where the things that, you know, the kind of car you drive and the kind of clothes you wear and the, in the bank account and the reputation you have, how well your business is going. Not that any of those things are like that. you should never think about it, but those become the things that dominate your thought processes. Is that where you're spending most of your time, kind of stewing and thinking and wondering about, it? or maybe on the other side of things, less worldly, more godly, thinking about the things of God? Does does that? brain function occur regularly without having to sort of make yourself that your thoughts gravitate toward maybe a promise of God and claiming it or, or maybe looking at things through the lens of how God would see this person and this need and this situation and this circumstance. As a person thinks in his heart, the writer of Proverbs says, so is he. And if you find yourself thinking and consumed with your thought life, on the things of the world, guess what direction your life is going to naturally move toward. And by the opposite circumstance, if you find your thoughts consumed on the things of God, guess which way your life is naturally going to gravitate toward. That's sort of the the point, I think, of that verse. And, And not only that, but we can look at other places in Scripture to realize that our thoughts are so important to the life we live, Person We're going to become and the things that influence our thought life make a huge difference on how we experience this life and how we experience God's presence and power in our life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is one of those verses I learned a long time ago. Maybe you're familiar with it. It gives us kind of the insight into why this matters. Romans 12, 2 says this. I think it's going to come up on our screens for us. Don't copy. The behavior and customs of this world. You know, on that continuum, worldly to godly, the, the scriptures tell us, Paul tells us, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but instead, let God transform you into a new person. And notice that last phrase, this is from the New Living Translation, by changing the way you think. The way I rememberized it was by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. Don't let the world you into its mold. Maybe those are some translations you're familiar with. But instead, let God transform you by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. How can your life move away from the things of the world and more toward the things of God by transforming, by changing the way you think? And then notice what the next part of this verse says. It says, then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and His will really is. If I were to ask you this morning, I'm sure many of you have struggled with that issue. When you face a decision knowing what God wants you to do. There are probably times in all of our lives when we come to that point and we, on the one hand, say, I want to do what God wants me to do, but I'm uncertain about what that might be in this situation. Now, I'm not talking about, should I one of the Ten Commandments or not. That's pretty easy, right? That's why we have that list. But I'm talking about the things that maybe aren't as explicit in Scripture, and there are plenty of them. Should I date this young man or this young woman? I don't know. Well, this tells us that there is a way you can know what God wants you to do. By being transformed, by having the way you think change, by having your thought life focus on God, to focus on His principles, His truth, then when you come to those decisions, you'll have more clarity about the thing to do that is what God would want you to do and you can know His good, pleasing and perfect will. For most people here today, I'm assuming that sounds like a good plan. That sounds like, hey, if you can help me today, preacher, know how better to navigate the difficult situations in my life, that would be a really helpful thing to do. And so I think this is what we'll see today as we talk about a few more things over the next few minutes. How your thought life, that little thing, those little thoughts that pop into your brain by by the millisecond, how those little things shape your life either toward the things of God or potentially away from the things of God. So so I guess that, that really is kind of a of the question. Then how do you change the way you think? I'm so glad you asked. Because really, what's easier than changing the way you think? Exactly. It's not something that maybe is a question that you've grappled with There certainly is no easy answer. A couple thoughts from Scripture, a couple places in Scripture I want to suggest we can look at for help in how we can change the way we Knowing, changing the way we think can make a huge difference in our daily life and the decisions that we face. The first passage I want you to look at in that regard is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's going to show up on the screens as well if you want to turn there in in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that we can kind of capture the negative, destructive, worldly, worrisome thoughts. That there is in this passage some, for us, that all the negative, all the bad, all the ungodly stuff, we have power over it. It's actually a a, a section of scripture that that many people talk about uh, in in the theme of spiritual warfare, because it starts in verse 3 by saying um, something about that. In verse 3, it starts this way, for we, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now, this isn't like spears and chariots and tanks and ICBMs and all different kind of war. It goes on and helps us understand that. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I like the word demolish. Now, probably because when I was a kid, like most kids, we're sort of bent toward demolishing things. Have you noticed that? Anybody have kids that like to break stuff? Can I get a witness? You know the best things to break? Stuff your brother or sister has just built. Isn't that the best? Like, you know, brother builds this tower of blocks, and it's, it's big, the biggest one he's ever built. and little brother, ah! that's spiritual. No, not really. Um, you know, just wants to tear it down. You build something, another sibling wants to tear it down. Maybe it's blocks or, or Legos. Legos are fun. I like Legos. I'm in my office, on my shelf, big Lego thing. When somebody puts together a Lego, tear it apart. Man, that can really get under their skin. Demolish. You can get that idea. A wrecking ball. A building that's about to be demolished, and the wrecking ball crashes into it, and the the bricks are torn apart. We get that imagery. But this says we have divine power to demolish something specific, strongholds. What is a stronghold? Using the, the basis of the Greek word here, That word stronghold has the idea that there's a prisoner that's locked in by deception. That's particularly what's in mind in this verse when it says stronghold, someone who has been kind of captured by something deceptive. Now, maybe for for us today, that could have to do with the fact that our thoughts grow out of us kind of camp out on false thoughts. In fact, Scripture calls the devil the father of lies. Someone said once when the devil's lying, he's speaking his native language. Everything that he says is a lie, and if he can convince us to believe lies, then those lies that we believe, those thoughts that we kind of hang on to and build stories around in our lives. Of build one on the other until we are captive to this idea of falsehood, of deception. We've believed something that's not true and we've begun to act as if it is true. For all of us here in this room, we've probably had moments where we've done that. We probably might even have things in our life right now that would qualify as a stronghold. That we're living based on a story that we're believing is true, even though it's not. You're probably wondering, okay, preacher, help me understand what you mean. Give me an idea of where you're going with that. Well, let's say you messed up. Has anybody here ever messed up? Big mistake. Good. I'm speaking to people that understand. We all have. You've disappointed someone close to you, you've you've maybe Spouse, or maybe it's a parent or a child, maybe it's it's uh, someone that you admire, a co-worker, even a boss, if you can admire a boss, you disappoint them, you've messed up, and you begin to construct in your mind a story, you begin to tell yourself, I can't believe that I did that, oh, they're never going to trust me again, after I did that, they'll never give me any more responsibility again. I am an absolute failure. I might as well just quit this job, or I might as well just quit this marriage, or I might as well just stop doing this because never, never, never can I possibly ever overcome this horrible thing that I've done. Maybe you don't use that intonation, but you can you can build that story in your head. And every time you see that person, you think of that story. Oh, I know what they're thinking. They're looking at me. Oh, you walk, maybe... I am in the grocery store. And they don't make eye contact or they don't say, Hi, you know what you do? See, I told you they don't like me anymore. I told you they never trust me again. They won't even talk to me in the grocery store. Maybe they just didn't see you. But you've convinced yourself. You've got a story in your head. You've believed something that's not true, namely that because you messed up once, that's the end, and nothing ever can happen again. Nothing ever positive can exist in that relationship again. And that story begins to construct itself Deception after deception after deception. You see everything through the lens of that story you've constructed in your brain, even if it's not true, to the point that how you interact with that individual and how they interact with you is skewed by that lie or that series of lies that you believe. That's just one example. There are others who maybe have a habit, an addiction in their life that they've dealt with one of the difficulties with dealing with addiction is believing the lie that there's no hope. That this is how I'm going to have to be for the rest of my life. I can never beat this. It it has a hold on me. There's no way I can get out. I try. I'm pretty good for a week or a month or a year, but every time I turn around, I'm falling right back into that same trap. There are many people that struggle with addiction. That, that lie, they've believed in their life that there's no way out and there's no hope for them, and it sort of behaviors to those addictions again and again and again. Not because what they've believed is true, but because they believe believed the lie. See, to that person who's made a mistake, who's erred, who's disappointed someone, whether spouse or family member or, or employer, employee, is there any truth in God's word about how God treats our mistakes, about, about forgiveness? about restoration, about reconciliation. There's a ton in Scripture. And so when we make that mistake, when we err, when we sin, we can choose to believe that that changes everything, or we can choose to believe that God can work even the worst thing that happens together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And we can pursue forgiveness. We can pursue by... Apologizing, by admitting our mistake, by moving toward that person, by not allowing those lies to begin to build one on the other so that we have this story now that we're living out that's really not a true story we've just created it in our own mind in our own heart because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And rather than being transformed by changing the way we think, we've allowed the way we think about erroneous and lying things to transform the way we act in other ways. And that's not how it should be. Those who struggle with Maybe destructive habits, addictions, patterns, of all sorts of things. There's a lot in Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I think just last week we used the verse, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Yeah, you can't do it, but God, through His Holy Spirit who indwells you, can give you the power to overcome whatever it is that's got a hold on you. And on and on we could look for Scriptures and we could decide Rather than allow this wrong, deceptive, this stronghold becoming a prisoner of this deception to define our lives, no, we have divine power to bring the wrecking ball, in this case, of God's word against that stronghold to free us from it. And the verse goes on, and the next verse says this. One of the ways we do that, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought make it obedient to Christ. I love the imagery. It may have been in one of the the Beth Moore studies or one of the other studies that that some groups have done in our church of of taking every thought captive to Christ. I, I I wish, I should have looked this up, I've thought it three times now as I've been speaking. I wonder how many thoughts we think in a typical day. A lot, a bunch, the sensory imagery and data that we have to process, whether it's what we see or hear or, or, or feel, you know, that begins to generate thoughts and thoughts just go and you see something, and just a bunch of thoughts. This verse says we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's as if, here comes a thought. Here it comes. You see it coming? Here it is. It's walking to the door. What do you do when a thought comes along? I love the imagery. You put it in hand and say, let me have a conversation with you, Mr. Thought. Okay, maybe that's a little much. Don't do this out loud, by the way. That could be a problem. But, But picture yourself. A thought is coming to you, apprehending it, taking it captive, putting it in cuffs, and evaluating it, questioning it, considering. Is it a thought that meets the criteria of being obedient to Christ? thought comes in. You've made a mistake and the thought comes in. You're a failure. You never amount to anything. As soon as that thought comes in, throw the cuffs on it and say, okay, Mr. Thought, I'm a failure and I never amount to anything. Is that what the Bible says about me? And all the people here, would you say yes or no? No! So if the thought is not obedient to Christ, what do you do? You lock it up already handcuffed, you just kind of throw it in the clink and forget about it as much as you can and move on. Because another thought's coming. Trust me. I actually heard, apparently there's an app. I think it's a game app. Maybe directed at at kids. It's called Truth or Trash. Anybody heard of this app? No? Yeah? You have? Interesting app. Truth or Trash. Um, Basically, it's an app developed by Christians that helps you discern whether something is true or not. You can go on and look at, for all your mobile devices, should you like to get the Truth or Trash app. I don't get any cut from this. I just learned about it this week, so, you know, this is not personal. Apparently, it it brings up a statement, and you have to decide whether that statement is truth or trash. I think on the screenshot where it says, you know, kind of gives you an example, um, one of the statements is, I'll be wiser when I grow up. Truth or trash? You know, the app says it's trash. And here's the scripture. Let no one look down on you because you are young, but be an example for others. I forget the particular, I think it's in Timothy somewhere, because Paul's writing to Timothy. I thought, I mean, I thought, I said, yeah, that's trash. (laughs) And then I was, whoa, okay. I mean, think about that. That's a good point. There's a scripture. Yes, as we grow, let's hope we get wiser. Yeah, please. please. But the Holy Spirit of God indwells any believer and can give us the wisdom in whatever situation we find ourselves in to make the wise choice. we just look at that in Romans a few minutes ago? So, interesting app. Yeah. Maybe it's good for us as... Uh, Christians to play truth or trash with every thought that comes in, and if it's obedient to Christ, open the door, come on in, let me dwell on that. If it's not obedient to Christ, keep those handcuffs on, get rid of it, get it out of there. You don't want to spend any time dealing with that. One way to change the way you think is not allow your thinking to just proceed and chase those rabbit trails without checking it, without being more aware of what you're allowing thought-wise to enter in and to to take up residence in your mind because if you're, as you think in your heart, so you become if you're thinking the trash stuff, what's the old uh, computer saying, garbage in garbage out So, so thoughts how do you change the way you think, one way is to be aware and capture the destructive or the negative or the ungodly thoughts, before they get any chance to begin to interlock with each other and build the walls of that stronghold. If that's the negative side of changing the way you think, then maybe we could look at the positive side and say, in addition to capturing the negative or ungodly or destructive thoughts, we need to fix our thoughts on the things of God. Now now here's one of my pet peeves I've told you before. Notice I didn't say, think about spiritual things going to encourage you not to think about spiritual things. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, maybe it's your first time here, and you thought, I thought this is a real church, not one of those churches. Okay, let me explain. Do not strive to become a spiritual person, because there are many kinds of spirits. Actually, there are really two major kinds of spirits. The Holy Spirit of God and all the others. And so if I I'm going to be spiritual, my fear is, I might listen to the wrong spirit. Rather, I don't want to be spiritual. I want to be godly. I want to be more like Christ. I want to have the character of Christ built into my life. I think those are, kind of, like I said, pet peeve, a pretty important difference in the two things. So when I'm talking about fix your thoughts, not on spiritual things, but on things of God, the things of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 kind of gives us a helpful list. Do you like helpful lists? Okay, good. Then I have one for you. 4, 8, and 9. I'm going to throw it up here on the screen. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How do you know thought, once captured, is obedient to Christ. This is a helpful list of criteria. Is it true? It's a good thing to start with. Is this thought true? About myself, about the other person, about life, about God, about the way the world works, whatever it is. Is this true? Does it match up with the revealed truth of God in His Word? If it is, check. Is it noble? Is it right? praiseworthy, that's a pretty comprehensive list. Those are the things. As much as you're taking captive the destructive, you want these positive things to kind of hang out and be for you that which informs your thought life and begins to inform your words, which in turn inform your actions and your habits and your character and your life. It's I, I like this illustration either be a buzzard or a hummingbird? Actually, I'm supposed to say turkey vulture. Right? Not buzzard. I thought buzzards. I always heard about buzzards. Apparently, there's black vultures and turkey vultures. I called them buzzards. Not anymore. Educated. Anyway, besides size, what's the difference between a buzzard and a hummingbird? What do buzzards seek out? Dead stuff. What the hummingbirds eat? Sweet things, nectar. If you have a feeder, you might have syrupy stuff that you go. By the way, that's not good. I tried. Ooh, all the sugar. No, it's not good. Don't try that. Trust me, not good. I just thought once maybe it's looks like Kool Aid. It's probably just red Kool Aid in there. It's not. Just saying. Trust me. Here, a vulture. Trees I live. A vulture seeking out dead stuff, picking on it, feasting on it. The hummingbird, very selective. We, we've actually had a few come to our porch, which is pretty cool. I didn't know that, that we had them down here. We have a couple of plants there, and it is amazing to see them fly in and with their how fast do their wings beat? And it, it's amazing they have to eat so much. I'm like, if y'all just sit down and rest for a minute, you could, you know, wouldn't have to fly around. It. But anyway, they never listen to me tried that, sat one down and said, listen, little bird, it didn't work. Anyway, I mean, they're seeking out nectar, the, the the good thing, and the same thing for us. All around us, there is a buffet from which we can eat, and some of it is buzzard food. And you can eat buzzard food. You can You can feast on that dead and decaying stuff, and guess what? That's what you'll get, dead and decaying stuff. Or you can seek out the nectar, the truth, the good, everything, all, all this list. True, noble, bright, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. That's the nectar that's out there. There's plenty of that. And really, which of those two things do you feed upon? Which of those two things do you allow to come in, which will inform your thought life, which will inform all the rest of the way that you act and interact? And so we, we take captive, the negative, and we instead... Speak out, fix our thoughts, consume ourselves with the positive. And in doing that, what happens is is we, we allow this, that to build into us. Now, last week we talked, and I said, for me, I had one word, kind of for this year. If you remember, if you weren't here last week, the word was community, which is why we're doing some things in the next few weeks. You'll hear about in just a few minutes and all. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, well, what what is the thought that I could pair with that word Help me kind of inform this year, and here's my thought. And for some of you that know me well, this was a pretty big thought. I mean, not like, oh, you're going to be amazed, but for me, I, for some of you, you're like, duh. Here's my thought: I need other people. That was a pretty big thought for me. I, I was, I'm kind of an introverted sort of fella. I like. I can be the kind of person that would hold up and pull away and pull back and be perfectly contented if everybody would just leave me alone. I'll be fine. Maybe I'm not the only one that feels that way. And, and, and here's really the point in time, even recently, where where I, I surprised myself. I had this conversation after Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve service, one of my favorite services in the year. I always have a really good crowd. I love the candle lighting. It's just, it's just a great service. It's, maybe it's the time of year and everything about it. And, and I thought the service went okay. thought it went well. It was a good service. Mm-hmm. But I, I got home, was talking to the niece and, and I said, yeah, well, it was a good service. I, I just, I miss some people being there. And I thought that was odd. Because that's not like I'm a preacher. The crowd was full. I should be happy. We brought chairs in from the other building because we had more people, more bottoms to put on seats and we had seats for them. That's a good thing. I should be like skipping home and being all happy. And, and I was happy about the service, but that little nagging thought got me. And as I think about this year for our church, and as I talked about last week, this idea of community, and I think about Personally, myself, I'm becoming more and more aware I need other people. I'm not built to live life all kind of cocooned up, insulated and isolated for everybody and everything. I need relationship as iron sharpens iron. I need those folks in my life. I need the ones that sometimes can encourage me. And sometimes I can encourage. I need those relationships in the body of Christ that otherwise, maybe in the past, I hadn't thought were so important. And so as I, as I think about the word community that I'm hoping to see God build in our church, for me personally, the thought that I'm going to remind myself of even this year is, I, I need other people. God created me for community. God created me to need others. And so I'm just going to try that for it. So the next close the door, go in my office, close the door, and forget about it, go on the drive and yell if you were here for that sermon, um, whatever. I'm going to say, you know what? You know what? I need other people. Why? Because I could choose to have that sort of stronghold in my life that I was made to go it alone, that I don't need other people, that I can just do this, me, myself, and I. I can believe that. I can construct that. I can even convince myself, if you're really... It's easy to see everybody else out to pull you down and to, to, to somehow not help you but to hinder you. And this person's the problem, and that person's the problem, and the other person's the problem, so I don't need them when really you're looking in the mirror at the problem. And I can live based on that lie and have that stronghold build in my life and not share much of my life with anybody. And over the course of the rest of my life, the example and the truth of Scripture that God gave us each other. That we are the body of Christ. That when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. When one part is joyful, the whole body rejoices. I can believe that and recognize the need for other folks and see God work richly in my life by building relationships of those sorts that could ultimately make a huge difference for His kingdom. But you know what? I think as, as I process this a little bit, one thing the message of Christ for our world shouldn't be is, hey, come to church and be alone. Because that's sort of the message. Of, if I'm honest, I was kind of living at times. Yeah, church is great, but you just really need you. No. Church is still good, by the way. That's not the no word. Um, But you need others. Which is why I am excited about 40 Days in the Word. Which is why in a minute, during announcement time, we'll talk some more information about it. But I hope for you, you'll look at your life and maybe see the place, the thought, or the thought processes. And for me, it was that one seed of one thought that ha- that can build into a whole stronghold. Where is that one thought that you keep going back to over and over and over again that you can become the prisoner of deception? You can have a stronghold built in your life. Because if you keep thinking it, as you think in your heart, so you're going to become. If you want to be different, Paul says the way to be transformed is by the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think. If you're going to change the way you think, you need to take every thought captive, make sure it's obedient to Christ, and focus your thoughts that you do spend thinking on the good things of God. And those little things, of us who know you you have sent him to indwell us to empower us to embolden us as your witnesses you have given him to us that we might be able to discern your truth in this world that so often bombards us with things that are not I pray today for for all of us here, that you would help us identify that seed of a thought that we too often believe, that lie that comes right from the father of lies, that he wants us to believe so that we begin to, to build that story in our life, that we begin to live out by the way we act and the habits we build that ultimately pull us away from you and away from your truth. You told us in your word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Father, that we'll, we'll dwell on your truth, we'll think on your truth, we'll allow the truth of your word to so inform who we are and what we think that we'll see more and more of your character built into our lives. Lord, we come now to our time of response, this moment where we invite you to convict our hearts where they need convicting, to draw us closer to yourself, to show us all that you have done for us and certainly the biggest you have given is your very son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. Lord, if there is anyone here today who does not know you as Savior, who has never turned in faith to you, asked to be forgiven of their sins and been adopted as your child and brought into your eternal kingdom, I pray even today they would turn to you in faith and make that decision. God, we give you now these moments of our service.